Good morning. Welcome to Wyatt. It's good to have you here. Those who are joining online, it's, it's good to have you join us uh, as well to hear God's Word. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our uh, journey. Uh, we'll be wrapping up chapter 3 this morning. Uh, if you want to, we are going to turn to Genesis 15 towards the beginning of the message. You Feel free to find that and put your finger there as well. Um, I, uh, I was reading an article this week on the church and social justice. And this is an important, important thing in our time, uh, an important thing to, to think about in our time. And, and, uh, and some of the things in the, in the article were, were good and, and, uh, and helpful. Uh, but I found one sentence towards the end of the article that I found very dangerous. I found very alarming. And the sentence was this. The gospel and social justice are the same. Do you find that to be a dangerous sentence? I think we should. For the gospel and, and social justice are uh, actually very different. Um, the gospel is the truth of, of what Christ has done, of, of God sending Christ to, to live for us, to die for us, to be resurrected for us. That's very, very specific. That is the good news of Christ. Justice is an effect that that should have in our life where we desire to see justice, where we desire to do justice because of the wonderful gospel that's been revealed to us, but it's it's not the same thing. One is what Christ has done. The other is, is what we should be doing. And, and by one, we are justified. And, by, and the other is what we do because we've been justified. They're, they're, not, they're not the same thing. And Galatians is really about defining the gospel. This is a book written to those who were saying, those Jewish Judaizers who were saying, in effect, this. The gospel and circumcision, they're the same. Or saying the, the gospel and Jewish law, those are really the same thing. And it is Paul coming to them and saying, no, it's not. They're not the same. The gospel is, is in, a, in a place all by itself. And there's nothing in the orbit of the gospel. There's things that, that the gospel affects and that the gospel brings about, but the gospel is very specific. I like what John Stott said about the message of Galatians is the gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand, but an offer. Nothing is more important than how we define the gospel. And that... That's why Galatians is so important. That's why 
it's important for us to study this book. So let's continue our study of Galatians. Starting with verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of, promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, under sin so that the promise of, uh, by faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed so then the law was our guardian until christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus all are sons of god through faith for as many of you as were baptized into christ put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you all are one in jesus christ and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the main point that I want to put forward from this text this morning is that the law of God has a purpose, but it has never and will never supersede the gospel that was promised to Abraham. The law of God, it has a purpose, and we'll talk about that purpose, but it has never and will never supersede the gospel that, has, that was promised to Abraham. It's not the same as the gospel. It's set apart. It serves a purpose for the gospel, but it's not the gospel. And so first, Paul tells us about what the law could never do. What, the law, what can the law never do? We see that in verses 15 through 18. The law which came later can never and will never supersede the promise of God which came first. And so in verse 15, he makes the example of a human, he gives a human example of a man-made covenant. And probably the closest thing we can think of to like what would be like a covenant would be a will. Now a will is it's a binding document, right? Let's say there was a, a, a lady who was the, her husband already passed away and, and she had two daughters. And she was going to leave her inheritance. Well, one of the daughters was just filthy rich. Just, just absolutely just had made a great life and had, uh, had, had just 
had plenty of money. The other uh, daughter was in, in poverty. Well, the, the, the mom decides, hey, I'm going, my other daughter doesn't need it, so I'm going to leave it to my poor daughter. Well, let's say in the week leading up to her death, suddenly her, her rich daughter loses all of her money. And then mom dies, and then suddenly, oh no, there's been a huge mistake. She left it to her poor daughter, but now they're both poor. What, what can you do about it? Nothing. Unless the daughters got together and worked it out, because the will has been set. She has passed away. There's no way to change it, to ratify it. It's, it's a done deal. And, and so Paul's point is, if you can't fiddle with a man-made covenant, then why do you think that the law that comes after the promises of God can fiddle and change the promises that God had already made to Abraham? And so to understand this, we, we need to talk about that covenant that was made to Abraham in Genesis 15. And so, so God comes to Abraham and he he makes these promises that his, that his offspring, he's going to be blessed with, with offspring and, and, and just be blessed with, this, with amazing nations and that through him the nations were, were going to be blessed. And he says, Abraham says to God in, in verse 8, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Talking about these promises that God had made to Abraham. How do I know? that you are going to give these things to me. And God instructs him to gather up several animals, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and, and he was to cut them in half. Okay? And he was to, to set these halves opposite each other so that they could walk through them, walk between them. Now, that's weird to us, right? Um... You know, uh, our church secretary, Miss Nona, is a, is a notary public. And, and so there's times where she's signing documents, and so she'll call us out to witness the document. It's the easiest thing in the world. We come out for about three minutes. We watch a few documents signed. We're done. Well, this was how you signed a document, a covenant in, in, in these times. Now, if it was like this, and Nona said, hey, come Come forward. We're fixing to slaughter a few animals and we're all going to walk through the blood. I'd be like, I'm going to stay in my office. But, but this was in essence how you would sign a document. And, and there was symbolism here. And the symbolism was that if I break this covenant, then may I be like these animals. If I don't keep my end of the bargain, then let me be like these animals that have been split in half and killed. But there's a very peculiar thing in this covenant that God makes with Abraham. Abraham never passes through the animal halves. He ended up going to sleep. But someone did pass through the animals did pass between the animal halves. 
And that's found in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now here's the point. Okay, I know we're getting, this is all weird. This is strange. This is foreign. But here's the point. The covenant God made with Abraham was a promise, not for Abraham to keep, but for God to keep. God would do it, and he would die before he would not do it. And in fact, God did die. Not because he failed to fulfill it, but so that he could fulfill it through Christ. This is why Verse 16, Paul points out the ultimate fulfillment of this promise Abraham comes through the one offspring, which was God himself, who laid down his life. And so Abraham never passes through. God passes through to show, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure that these promises get to you, Abraham. Now, with all that in mind, let's look at verses 17 and 18 in our text in Galatians. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So do you follow Paul's argument here? Let me, let me state it simply. He is saying that God came to Abraham and made promises to Abraham, but God said, I am going to do it. I'm going to fulfill the covenant. Not you, Abraham. You're not going to do it. I'm going to do it for you. And so what Paul is saying, it's not as if 430 years later, that suddenly God goes, hey, Paul's change of plans. It's no longer me who is going to do it, but I'm going to give you the law and you're going to do it. That my favor and my promises will come to you because of what you do and not because of what I do. Change of plans. That's not what happened with the law. God didn't promise it that he would do it and then turn around and say, no, you're going to be in charge of doing it. It's not what the coming of the law was about. It wasn't about erasing the promise of the covenant. So the question arises then is this, if the law does not change what God had promised, then what does it do? It's a good question, and that's why Paul jumps right into answering that question. What does the law do? Verses 19 through 24 tells us. Starts with verse 19, why then the law? He's anticipated the question. That I've just said that the law doesn't annul the promises, so then what is the law for? And he says, it was added because of transgressions. Now, in these verses, there are some complex things, especially in verses 19 and 20. There's talk of angels putting the law into place uh, through an intermediary. And, and what does all that mean? Well, 
I'm going to be honest, there's some 300 interpretations of what that means. Would you like for me to share these with you? You hungry? I'm not going to share 300 interpretations because whatever that phrase means, the main point of the text remains clear. Um, I like what Alistair Begg says. He says the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. And so his point in that in studying the Bible, sometimes we get bogged down with, with, with what phrase means. And absolutely, we should seek to understand what's being talked about here with the angels and, and all that. And maybe it'll shed some light into the bigger meaning. But what, what, what Alistair Begg is saying and, and what I'm arguing for here this morning is that there's a perfectly clear meaning of this text that those phrases may illuminate a little bit but 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 doesn't the main point still stands even if we don't fully understand all of these phrases and it's about what does the law do and the law does this the law of god was given to reveal our sin it was to lift the lid of our souls and discover our rebellion against God. Verse 21, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So the law is in no way contrary to the promise given. It simply fulfills a different purpose towards that promise. The law is not a ladder to be climbed. The law is a mirror to show us who we are apart from Christ. Paul's main point in verses 19 through 24 is this. Paul is telling them that the law does not supersede the previous promises of God. On the contrary, it shows us, the law shows us why we are so desperate in such desperate need of those promises. We're so desperate in, in, in need of knowing the fact that, that He's going to do it because when we look at ourselves in the mirror of the law, we know that we are failures and we know that we can't do it. It shows us why the promises are vital. Verse 22 sums up the main point very well. It says this, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Look at the first part here, verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Think about that. You know, we like to think about, about scripture and that, oh, it's, it's beautiful. We put it on our coffee mugs. We put it on our t-shirts. Oh, it's so inspiring. But what Paul says is that the Scripture imprisons us in sin. You know, how's that for inviting your friends to church? Hey, you need to come to my church Sunday. We preach in such a way that, that you'll feel in prison. Kick you up at 945? He 
Many people just want a preacher that will make them feel good about themselves. We live in a time where many, many preachers do just that. They avoid the subject of sin because they don't want to make anybody feel bad. And, and because of it, they fill basketball coliseums with people that just love to have their ears tickled rather than their, sto- their toes stomped. Ignorance is bliss. Don't, don't tell me how bad I am. I don't, wanna, I don't come to church to feel bad. I come to church to feel good and inspired. But true preachers, they preach the law. But adherence to the law is never their ultimate end if they're a gospel-centered preacher. We never want to preach the law to make moral people or to make people feel bad for not being moral. No way. That's not the primary reason we ever preach the law. We preach the law as a means to point people to the good news of the gospel. To point them to the hope. As the Puritans used to say, we cannot sow with the gospel until we have first pierced with the law. And this is what the second part of verse 22 is all about. But the Scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. The the law shows us that we are in prison to sin so that we will pursue the key of the gospel. It was Luther who said this. The law is to make man not better, but worse. That is to say, it shows them their sin uh, is that in the knowledge there, they may be humbled, that they may be terrified, that they may be bruised and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace and so come to the blessed seed of Jesus Christ. We don't care about the key until we find out that we're in prison. We don't care about the cure until we've been proven, until it's been shown to us the evidence of our cancer. We don't care about a rope that's being thrown to us until we realize that we are drowning. That's the law. It's got a great and wonderful purpose. And that is to point us to our need of Jesus. Our need of the gospel. Let me sum up these first two points like this. The law of God does not make man righteous. It shows man to be unrighteous so that they may seek righteousness and the promise of God fulfilled in Christ. So now Paul is going to tell us what makes faith better than the law. What does faith in the promise, promises of God through Christ do for us? 
What does faith in the promises of God through Christ do for us? Well, first off, it, it says here that it makes us children of God. It makes us children of God. Verse 24 tells us that, that the law is a guardian to us. Now, is a guardian a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. We are very blessed in this church to have had uh, and continue to have people whose hearts um, love to foster. They care about children that have found themselves uh, temporarily in a, in a place where they don't have an adequate home. And so what do these amazing parents do? They bring those kids into their own home and, and they serve as a temporary guardian to, to help them. That's, that's an amazing thing. That is a wonderful picture of, of, of the gospel. But those times, sometimes it's a few weeks, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a few days, sometimes a few weeks, sometimes months. That's a wonderful thing in and of itself to invest your heart in children who are going to be a temporary part of your life. But I've, I've also seen many times where that home was never going to be adequate again. They, they weren't going to have a home. And I've seen Wyatt member after Wyatt member, I've been able to go to the courtroom and I've been able to hear the judge say they will be to you as a natural born child. That changed things. That's different. As, 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 as beautiful and amazing as just uh, being a temporary guardian is and full of grace, in that moment, they acknowledge suddenly that they're no, you're no longer a guardian, you're a parent. A life on as if they were naturally born. How beautiful is that? The love that brings a child into that kind of love. And that's essentially what is being said here about the law. It was a guardian. It served as a temporary, in a temporary purpose of showing us that what we really needed was someone to, to love us and, and to make us their own. And that's what Christ does in the gospel. Just love that. He's made us children, made us sons of God, made us daughters of God. And so can I ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Let me tell you something. The, the, the New Testament doesn't speak of the universal fatherhood of God. And what I mean by that is, is God is thought of and, and taught as a universal king so his authority is over all he's thought of as a universal creator that all who exist draw their breath and exist because he created them but when it comes to being a father that is for those who have placed their faith in Christ And I want to tell you this morning, if you haven't done that, 
you still exist under the guardianship of the law and, and that will never save you. That will never justify you. You have to be brought into sonship or, daughter, or, or, or a daughter of God, not just His creator. Not, seeing Him not as just your creator, but as your Father because of faith in Christ. Second thing the law does is it has made us, or not the second thing the gospel, the, the, the faith has done, faith in the promises of God has done, has made us one with Christ. Verse 27, for as many of, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is, this is synonymous with the, with, the, with the great language in the New Testament of being in Christ. Our, un, our union with Christ, that means that, that we receive, we put on Christ, we put on His righteousness, that we're no longer judged according, or favored, or, or pleased, or God is not pleased with us because we keep His law. He is pleased with us. He, we have favor from God. We have no condemnation in God because we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We've put on Christ that when he sees us, the same love he has for Christ belongs to us. And thirdly, he has made us the gospel, the, the promise, the faith, the, 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 the faith in the promises of God has made us one in Christ. It says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Read that one more time. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're all now sexless? That we don't identify as male and female? Does it mean that I'm no longer black, or I'm no longer white, or I'm no longer Hispanic. I'm, I, I throw, cast off that identity. Does it mean I'm no longer identify as an American? I'm, I'm no longer identify from this country or that country. No, these, I mean, your identity is, I mean, you have things about you that you identify with, and that's fine. But what it is saying here is that there is no identity that's been given to you like the identity of one who knows Christ. For the law ripped the lid off of who you are and you didn't you you, you began to see who you were and, and the wretchedness of your sin and, and 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 everything about you is is ripped apart and you don't know who you are. You just know that you're a sinner that's worthy of the wrath of God. But in Christ, in the gospel, you've received a new identity. And you have been brought into the fellowship of those who know who they are, who know they are loved and cared for because of the gospel. You are His. Beyond any other identity, beyond anything that you may hold dear, 
is the beauty and the truth that you belong to Christ, that you are in Christ. And lastly, we are made heirs of God's promises. We are made heirs of God's promises. Look what it says in that last verse. It says this. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are Abraham's offspring. Father Abraham, I'm not going to sing, but you remember the song, right? It's actually a great theological song. Because of Christ, you are a son of Abraham, which means... What God promised to Abraham as an inheritance, it now belongs to you. That, that you are right, you will be right before God. You will spend eternity with God. You will receive everything that has been given to you in Christ, which is the eternal blessings of God. The law of God has a purpose. But it has never and will never supersede the gospel that was promised to Abraham. And here's the deal. Do you notice something here? When you look at this text, what you see in the law is that it's very passive. All it does is hold up a mirror and say, You're a sinner. You don't match up to the glory of God. You don't. You fall way short of the standards of God. That is what the law does. It's passive. It just shows us things. But the gospel, the, the, the gospel is according to the promises of God and faith. It comes along and, and, and through faith it it makes us God's children. It unites us with Christ. It, it brings us all together under Christ. And it makes us heirs of the promises of God. So the gospel and the law is not the same. One is passive and one brings us into more love than we could possibly have ever imagined. And so this morning I would warn you, Christian, never put anything on par with the gospel. Nothing is the same as the gospel. It's a beautiful truth unto itself. And every day you need to realize that you, walk, you wake up in the love and favor of God because of his promises and not because of your performance. then I also want to say to you, if you're here and you don't know God is your Father, then you still exist under the law. And, and what the law does is it, it crushes us while offering us no help. And if you do not run to the help that Christ offers in the gospel, you will eventually be totally crushed by the gospel and, and receive the, 
the horrible consequences of your eternal punishment for your sin. I would, I would tell you this morning to let the law have its way, have it fulfill its purpose in sending you running to the beautiful arms of Christ. I'll be here during our time of invitation. I would love to talk with you if you need to do that this morning. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for the law and what it is. God, as painful as it was and, and continues to be, I need to know that I'm a sinner. But God, I pray that, that the law would always fulfill its purpose in me, which, and that is sending me to the beautiful dependence and love of the gospel of what you did for me in Christ. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their father, I pray that they would respond to the message of the gospel this morning and place their faith in you so that they can be known as your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.